Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends. Oh my, it's a good episode. We have a new friend. I cannot wait to introduce you to her. She is amazing. Kiana Webb. Kiana Webb is founder of Glorious Arisings, interim CEO of Cooperative Economic Empowerment Movement, or SEAM, and board member of LA County Fair, which is a living testament of women who is genuinely on the mission to empower women for a greater purpose beyond traditional norms. Given her family's legacy and widely known reputation for empowering Black-owned franchises, Kiana Webb garnered a lifetime of support and leadership experience, becoming one of the few Black women franchises to run and operate several McDonald chains across Southern California. Kiana champions women, children, and people of color. Her teachings have helped millions achieve result-driven success. Cannot wait for you to listen to her. Also, welcome back, my funny friend, all the way from Canada, Hodo Hersey. Hodo is a comedian and writer. I met Hodo as new faces in Canada at the Just for Last Festival in Montreal. She was selected as one of CBC's 15 comics to watch, and we agree. Hovo has performed in clubs, festivals all over Canada and the United States, including Winnipeg Comedy Festival and the BBC World Service Montreal Comedy Show, where both of her performances aired on the CBC. She was also selected as an audible new voice at San Francisco Sketch Fest. She's also had the distinct honor of hosting TEDx in Toronto and featured in Sephora's National Get lippy lipstick campaign in partnership with fashion magazine where she was profiled as one of the three female comedians taking canada by storm i cannot wait for you to see this young star become amazing you know how they break records they introduce you to new songs i love introducing you to new young black talent that's holo horsey if you live in long island new york Catch me this Friday. That's in the Hamptons, South Hamptons, at the new Sticks and Stones Comedy Club for two shows. Yes, that's this Friday, September 1st. It's a great way to close out the summer in South Hampton. Go to sticksandstonescomedyclub.com for tickets. You can hear us on Google Podcasts now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto-download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast and Twitter is friendslikeus10. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip or donation. Just go to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us. Shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you we keep going. And now for our golden friends, and I've seen you there, you have the option to watch our recordings live backstage. That's every Monday at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us and be golden. Merch is available. We have t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, face masks, tank tops. They're all available on my site. Go to marinafranklin.com. Weekly on my YouTube channel, I go live. Been off for the past few weeks, but we'll be back after this Labor Day weekend with my wacky friend Dave Juskow and Evelyn Frick. We shout out fans who leave reviews, so do that. And we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by, and sometimes we even offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows. With friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. 
Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. Wash those dirty little hands. COVID is back. It never really left, but it's back. It has a new variant. So wear a mask, be nice, and Black Lives Matter. I'm with Hovo. She's a comedian. My young star. I know you don't think you're young, but you are. And Kiana Webb. She's an entrepreneur and she has so much to talk about. We're going to get into it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. Come through vocals. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, thank you thank you this is a new thing i do because it's just fun, yeah, it is fun. Stuff. i love that i want to thank you both so much for joining me today on friends like us this is going to be a great conversation kiana when they introduced you to me i was really excited because i think this is a great time to talk to anyone who is like successful <laughs> that's one entrepreneur several franchises mcdonald franchises and you also inspire young people. You give them hope through your program, but um, it's called Seam. I don't know if it's called program, but it's a it's called Seam organization. And I'll let you talk about. And you're in Southern California, which I'm. How are you doing with that? How did the storm? Did you wrote it out? Oh, it was amazing. So first of all, it required a lot of prep, and then all of a sudden, it petered out, so it was beautiful and rainy, and it smelled good, and the plants are super green, like you find on the East Coast, and I got to rest. It was amazing, so for me. That is like the operative line right now with everything, like with the writer's strike, with everything that happens, it's like I get to rest. Yeah. It always does feel like a break, like that you needed. Or that we didn't take. The one that I didn't take that I knew I needed. And you do talk about wellness and creating habits for wellness. I do. Do you not take the breaks yourself? <laughs> I do in general. But this past few weeks was very action-packed. It just seemed like um, people were asking and I was responding to an urgency that didn't exist. And so when I do that, then my body just starts letting me know, A, you need to rest. And normally, I believe in the power of um, the seven days. So six days you're working, and on the seventh day, everything shuts down, and I will rest. I take that rest. But in the last two weeks, I hadn't. So these past two days of the storm really reminded me of the power of rest. Oh my goodness. Although, what do you think about that? We're comedians. Do you rest? You're a young comic. Yeah, it almost reminds me of um, how Jewish people have the Sabbath. They're like, sorry, girl, we're not, we're not doing nothing. We're not even using our phone. How about that? Yeah, I love that. Um, but comedians, I think we're, our minds are poisoned by this like kind of hustle culture. It's like, how many spots do you got? You know, how many, you know, how many clubs are you hitting up? So it, it, it's great to hear you talk about that. I also try to give myself a, a day of just doing nothing. Um, it's easier said than done, but especially during this writer strike, it feels like, okay, well, I'm not writing, so I really should be out doing tons of stand-up. Yeah, I just think in, no, I, I don't know if there's any industry where people aren't overworked. Right. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I was a teacher for many years. If you want to talk about being overworked? I mean, that's, you know, girl, you're being overworked. What grade and level? unpaid. I left in my sixth year, but my bread and butter was grade four. There were a couple years where, where maybe I did a three-four split. I don't know if you guys have that in the States. 
where they combine grades Mm -mm. into one classroom and they don't pay the teacher more money, but you're teaching out of two different curriculums. Well, they do combine schools, like classrooms. Yeah. Oh, you guys do? They do in New York. um, Because I used to do that too. I used to do after school theater workshop stuff. Oh, nice. But they would, and sometimes it was during the day and they would, schools were closing they would combine classrooms and the teachers were overwhelmed because they'd have too many students in one class. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my first year I had like 28 kids. So if we want to talk about a break, that was not existent. Oh. So <laughs> 28. That's your first year as a teacher. That's insane. But it's really good that you, you, you just, you have this one day where you're like, sorry, I'm not working. What are your rules around that? Is there just like no social media, no phones? Like, I'm just curious, what are your parameters? Like what, what qualifies an actual break for you? So, uh, rest for me is literally just being still. So it's a lot of prayer, um, sometimes meditation, and then it's allowing my body to tell me what it is that it wants to do. So this weekend, because it was raining, I was able to cook for a bit and just put love into it. I find a lot of times people think rest is not in movement, but rest for me is how much I can intentionally do my activity and put love into it and not be in a hurry, not find urgency, just be in the flow. I read a lot um, during that time. So I don't separate myself from um, electronics. I might watch a movie, but I don't create the frenetic energy through the social media that I have to do something, right? That I have to post or I have to um, worry about followers. It's really a surrendering to all of life's beauty. So I spend I a lot of time in the garden. Yeah. I spend Ooh, a lot of time garden. with the mm-hmm. My secret garden. Yeah. <laughs> As you can see. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, that is so true. I, started doing Sundays mm-hmm. years ago because I'm an older comedian and I was doing that hustle like as a as a young comedian you were told if you're not getting up every night you're not doing it and you're not going to get better so I would perform even when I had a job every single day and that included Sunday now I take off Sundays I don't put in anywhere I don't do anything but the thing is is I agree with you like I used to just lay on my couch and also it was my cheat day. So it was a combination of laying on my couch and ordering from seamless, like a lot of food. So I couldn't move. (laughs) So great. (laughs) But I agree with you. Like I did do this like a week ago, I actually cooked. Yeah. And that intentionality, I love that word. Intentionality was, was really helpful for me. And I played, Music instead of having the news on. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So good. I love that. Great question, Holo. Thank you. That is so good. Yeah. That is so, so good. Now, can you tell me what is SEAM? Mm -hmm. SEAM is the Cooperative Economic Empowerment Movement. It is a cooperative, a membership cooperative based in California, designed to create wealth in the African-American community. We use the membership dollars to invest in entrepreneurs and business owners, which then produces a patronage return back to our members. And um, the organization really focuses on empowerment, cooperation, and cooperative economics. Empowerment, cooperation. So that does that mean like um, getting businesses involved, or the 
or if they're in the organization being cooperative? So we are a convening body. One of the things that we find in our community is that as much as we do, we don't necessarily feel safe enough to do things together. We don't create safe spaces where people feel confident that their idea married or coupled with someone else's idea expands possibility as opposed to retract resources. We're always fighting for resources. And so our intention is to say, you know, if we create something together with multiple members in the community, then all of a sudden we're more attractive because we're not a one-off. And that if we do things in unity, if we do things in unity, then we have the ability to um, not just advance more of what it is that we do from a social standpoint. We can bring economics, wealth, empowerment, prosperity, and parity into our conversations that touches all aspects of life. So governance, government, business, economics, social enterprises, nonprofits, and that we're engaging in a conversation that says our value is not determined by our historical past. It's what we tend to create together. And the more we do things together, like the Jewish community, like a lot of Asian communities, that we can recreate the, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma. We can recreate what happened back in the 1800s, but we have to be able to do it within ourselves without tearing us down. Yeah. Now, Holdo, you come from a community that kind of does that already. Am I right? Because I remember you talking about how oh you put in funds. Yeah, for I don't know if um, right if you've heard about this, Kiana, but um, I know J- Jamaican folks. Uh, 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 South Asian, you'll find tons of South Asian communities that do this. And in Somali culture, it's specific to women. Um, and a bunch of women get together. They agree on a set amount of money that each woman will sort of throw into the pot. So, and it's, ca- it's called the Hegbed. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a money pooling system. And so that's how I was able to pay off my student loan debt was it was like 14 women coming together. We all agreed to pay $1,000. I joined because of my mom. And at the beginning of every month, you know, you throw in that 1k and then it goes to one woman and then the next month it's another woman and so that's you're just getting like a it's like getting a loan without any of the interest you know what i mean and your your word Mm -hmm. matters the most so if you don't pay on time or if you're just like just you have a bad reputation you won't be even allowed into the headbeds like they're very serious about it but i have good credit so happy to report your girl's got good credit. So people want her in the headbed, you know? <laughs> yeah. I have a friend that does that. She's Jamaican and she does that. She was telling me how she does it with the women in her family. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. It's mm-hmm. really like, it's usually very woman run. And if a man wants to join in Somali culture, he has to join through his wife. It's not allowed to just be in there. They're not letting any men in. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, that's well, kind of like know, my yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> love it. I need to do that for the podcast because every now and then we do have a guy. I call it our cycle, our period. Um, and I mean, maybe I need to like do some more screening yeah. before I let them in. But I, I, I want to ask. You know, that's such a good point because this morning, or was it? It was last night. I saw something on the. Sh- I always see something on the shade room, but. Steve Harvey posted a question. What comics do you not think is funny? 
I just thought, why would you do that? And then I list it, all of the lists were just mostly black comedians. And then someone interrupted and said, I see all you guys can only focus on black comedians. So we'll miss mention like, you know, Seinfeld. Okay. You know, for example, and like, but I just thought it was just, it was such a bad way of contributing to the divisiveness in such a very competitive um, sector industry already. You're not helping us. Wait, was he asking what comics aren't funny? What comic do you think that you know that you don't think is funny? Like what comic? So it was, so it was like, what comic do you think is not funny? That's how, and it was, and it was like, I don't want to say what it is because I don't want to also further it, but it was the same name kind of repeating. And then there was like groupings. And then there was like this conversation about why are they being pushed forward? And I just thought like, it's just going to create like crab in the barrel mentality starts with that question. I feel so Kiana, does it trigger anything for you or? Well, mind you, I'm not a comedian, although I love to laugh. I find that the questions that cause us the most upset or frustration or that burning sensation are the ones for me that I need to go into, right? Like there's resistance there and there's a place for me to insert love. So that being said, I think that of course, most people would put black people because that's just the historical narrative across the board. It doesn't mean it's true. It's just that people... Um, use laughter and comedy, music, entertainment to find connections. And whoever's responding might be an audience that's not connecting. So it would be so great if more people who was of the audience that did connect would respond with what they had to say. But so many people probably aren't responding out of fear of contradiction or out of fear of being Um, singled out as someone who has a different opinion, you know? Oh, there was a woman who was like, my husband said, this is who he didn't like. (laughs) She didn't want to, she didn't want to put it in, but you know, and then people were like, don't hate me, but I'm going to say this person. Yeah. But I just thought overall, what's the point is not doing anything is not helping us and it's not moving any. And the shade room is, is mostly black. It's mostly like for us. So I just thought, like, I don't see, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't see Jewish comedians doing this ever. I don't. They're not. No. Yeah. I also think it's really interesting because art comedy especially is so subjective. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's not the Olympics. It's not um, science. It's not something formulaic. It's, you know, there's no hard data. It's so subjective. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, you don't find them funny. And I'm pretty sure those people that they mentioned are really successful. Right. Oh, yes. And are probably making tons of money. Yes. So it's like, okay, girl, if you're saying, like, I've heard some people shit on Kevin Hart and I'm like, he's rich and he's doing very well for himself. I don't understand why anyone, you know what I mean? So you're saying that, but the numbers on what he's, the deals and everything that he's signing, it's it's painting a different picture. Yeah. You know? It definitely tells yeah. you more about how they feel about themselves than about the person they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Steve Harvey, who put that out there, like what's going on with you that you felt at your point in your career, you're doing everything you, you are, he's an entrepreneur. Like what, what was the point? Why? 
is there some insecurity creeping in and and why is it still there at this level of the game i just it was odd but i think you yourself have probably seen it marina it's like you've seen comedians with like insane amounts of success have these moments of insecurity so just it's a reminder that it's like oh nothing is ever enough and like you always no matter what your tax bracket is you've you always have to keep your ego in check. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Don't you find so gonna- this to cross the board, like for every industry, for especially when you're looking and searching for your validation in what the world thinks, specifically with what people think about you and money. Yes. Like, yeah. You get to a point where that will, you'll never be satisfied. Truly. Yeah. I had a, a moment that I think, Kiana, you can relate to because I I watched your Instagram. So I know you, you talk about a lot of these things like and we talk about microaggressions and unconscious yeah. bias. And I was uh, at a comedy club that I hadn't been to in a while. And I was doing what you talk. I think you, you talk about taking cha- making taking risks as an entrepreneur. You sometimes you got to go and take those risks, go outside of your comfort field to just sort of explore, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I was doing. <laughs> but And I was challenged um, along that path with a security guard who did not know who I was. Yeah. And he asked me, are you a comedian? Are you on the 10 o'clock show? Now my ego always goes, how do you not know who I am? But I just was like, he doesn't know who you are. So I let that go. And I said, I'm Marina Franklin. I'm on the show. I'm a comedian. He goes, are you past here? I was like, I'm a comedian. Yes, that's why I'm here. He goes, don't give me any attitude. What's with the attitude? Right away. Now, tall, white guy, security guard. I sat back for a moment and I had just talked about this on the last podcast about these moments of uh, where you just, you're frozen in this, like, you you know, you think about this perfect response as a comedian you, and as a person who wants to tell the story later, like, I had this great comeback, but I froze yeah. for a second, took a deep breath, looked at him, and I said, what? I was like, you can ask the manager here who I am and this manager, and he still challenged me, like, don't give me any sass. And he didn't say don't give me any sass, but that was his tone. Mm-hmm. And I said it again. I go, you could ask her. And then the manager said, what's the problem here? I go, this, he's really upset. He's asking me if I'm a comedian. He's asking him if I'm past. And he told me not to give him any attitude. And I'm going to tell you right now, don't ever say that to a black woman again. Please don't ever yes. let it come out your mouth to tell a black woman not to give you any attitude. And then he's like, she, she told him to step away. And then we talked, she tried to move on the manager and I let her, she was like, I could see she didn't understand why it was problematic. Mm -hmm. And then um, I let her tell her little story about her dating. And then I went back to it and I said, I need you to understand something. She goes, I've never seen him do this. I don't understand why it happened. I go, I do understand why it happened. And I pointed to my skin. I go, let's, let's examine the word attitude. Why are you using that word? Mm. What does it mean? And she said, it means like, kind of like you're beneath or like, and I said, okay. I said, so 
this is your security guard. You should ask him why he's using that word. She goes, the problem is I've never had any, I've actually ironically been trying to get him to be more aggressive. And this is what he does. I go, I know why he's doing it though. He did it very easily with me. Mm -hmm. So I actually deserve an apology. That's what I told her. And I expect one. I love that. And, um, and I was calm. I didn't, I mentioned a comment. I said, you're lucky I'm not so-and-so. <laughs> you could probably, hello, you could probably guess what I'm talking about. I said, you're lucky I'm not so-and-so because this would have been loud and it would have been really bad. I said, but I was like, so I went away. I went into like a green room area and he came over and he apologized and he was really genuine. And he said, you know, it's been a stressful night and I did not really understand how that could make you feel. And I apologize for that. And I said, I appreciate your apology. And I said, listen, next time when you see a young comic, remember this moment because they shouldn't be talked to like this either. If they're not past, no one should. So anyway, I tell that story. So I'm wondering, uh, Kiana, what what you think about that. Well, how do you feel? I feel empowered. I wasn't like out of control. I wasn't out of my body. I checked my ego in the moment. I felt pretty good. It's amazing. I mean, you completed a whole cycle. You had an upset. He was having an upset. You guys went through the journey. It was something that made you very uncomfortable. It was disrespectful. And you communicated to two people what you needed and you got exactly what you needed. I would say that's like a perfect experience. Like that's just amazing. Most people don't do that. And you, yes. you, you gave him something. You, you gave him an opportunity and the manager an opportunity for their own growth. But you also did it for yourself. I think that's extraordinary. Yeah, because I questioned myself while I was, I mean, this is what we go through. I, I, black women go through this day, like almost daily. <sighs> where we're like questioning, am I overreacting? to this is it my ego is what's going on is this racial is this racial do i deserve the respect i just you know so yeah i'm getting a hot flash just remembering it (laughs) yeah i'm I'm also glad that you said don't say this to any other comics like just just a, a lesson for him to just not like don't ever don't ever do this shit again with anyone else yes yeah I love yeah. that. I had to calm myself down too. Cause I, I, you know, I do, I am in menopause. So he was lucky. I wasn't in the high, uh, aggressive state of menopause. <laughs> Cause menopause will get you killed. Let me tell you. Cause there's moments where I'm like, Oh, I can't pull that anger back. It's out there. It's so far gone. But anyway, enough about me. Um, you, you also talk about your family's legacy, Kiana, of mm-hmm. empowering Black-owned franchises. Mm-hmm. Can you talk, what is, talk to that? Sure. Uh, most of my life, I was a part of the McDonald's franchise. We had, at one point, 17 locations here in Southern California. And then we sold. But my time in McDonald's really taught me the value of the beautiful skills and gifts and talents that everyone had. And that if you just activated that, then it enhances your world and their world. But beyond that, you see a platform or trajectory that is completely living beyond this one moment or experience. 
my parents came from really poverty. My dad moved to California when he was 11 with his great grandmother and they moved into one room in a boarding house. My mom came from a wow. single mother who um, was raised by relatives because her mother passed away. And when she came to Boston, her father was living here and he basically left her to her own devices to figure out how to live at 16, right? So together, what they created in one generation was wealth, and they were able to help my brothers and I um, in wealth. And we've always felt like, man, if it could happen in our family, why not happen in many? So part of the thing that we do is generating wealth for ourselves, but also like with Seam and other things that we do is how do we create a, a platform and a life expectancy pathways that allow people to see that your circumstances don't define you. You have the ability to define you the way that you would choose. And in doing so, you could create the life that you want, but you have to believe in it and you have to work and rest. And rest. Yes. I love that. Absolutely. That's a wonderful story. I love that. Um, That's right. And then I, so then I, I love that you say also that your past doesn't, your past doesn't really define you or history doesn't, because I think that's a sort of a critical topic right now. As we talk about like critical race theory and history being like blocked from in Florida. And I think that, there is a different feeling out there that it has started to sort of define some people in a way that is not the intention of history. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Or Well, I think that history is really based upon whoever is telling the story. So I do think that our history has been erased in, in a lot of ways. And so telling our story from our narrative is very important. Storytelling is very important. But the story is the story, right? If we're ever going to get beyond slavery as a, as a culture in this country, we tell our story and we shape our future by being the thing that we want to be in the present. Either way, our future is being shaped by the thing that we're telling ourselves now. So if in the now, our story is that we are less than Our story is that we are unworthy. Our story is that we have to prove our worth. We will be carrying forward today in our future that same narrative. For me, my story is that I am a divine blessing of God. I am very clear that everywhere I go, my worth will never be dependent on how anybody sees me. And that I surround myself with mostly women, a few men, that remind me and I remind them, we remind each other of this truth so that no matter what it is that I'm setting out to accomplish or achieve, I know that that's a guarantee for me as long as I do what I need to do to be successful in it. That's really the arrogance of humility. I don't don't have to prove myself to you. You know, the moment I feel that I need to prove my worth, I am putting myself behind or as less than the power that I already am just because I'm here. And I don't think that many of us really live that way. We're always trying to accomplish or achieve something according to a standard that is not who we are. 
But if there was no story of slavery or of conquering, if there was no story of white is better than black, if there was no story of multiculturalism as opposed to really celebrating our differences, if there was no story of whatever the narrative you tell yourself and all you were was all you were, then what would you create? Right. Like it's sort of like I think about my nieces who grew up with a black president knowing that Obama like that was like Hovo, um, did you yeah. are in Canada? So yeah, I mean, it was a huge deal that Obama got elected in Canada yeah. too. Yeah, we were celebrating. Yeah, I remember my dad cried. Yeah, it was a beautiful thing. And how do you like in in Canada? Does this is it different? This like looking back in history for you? Um. Yeah, it's so interesting in Canada because um, Canada does have an insanely dark past. It's just Canada hides it a lot better. Do you know what I mean? Um, uh, it, we're just really better at hiding our, our skeletons. Uh, I remember learning about Africville. I don't know. So Dwayne The Rock Johnson's black half mm. isn't even from the United States. He's from... Nova Scotia, which is, uh, there was this like black settlement called Africville and a lot of freed slaves came to Canada, built this community. Uh, and then the government of Canada, this is like a perfect example of racism in Canada. Instead of just like kicking them out right away, what they did was they cut off electricity periodically, garbage disposal, things that are required, basic things that you need in the communities to survive. So they cut those things off. And then eventually, when people were still living there, they just bulldozed the place and they ev they evicted everyone. Uh, and I just think that's like a beautiful, <laughs> it's like a perfect metaphor for what racism is like in Canada. It's like a nice slow burn. You know what I mean? We'll let yeah. you into the country, give you this illusion of safety, but then we'll do these things to sort of, sort of mess with you, you know? Um yeah, anyway, so yeah, that, that it's definitely really, uh, really, really prominent here. And I think during the pandemic, we had the largest amount per capita of just like white supremacists, like the, the growing pot. It's like, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, you know, there is a, there's a problem. There's a race problem here. It's interesting because I did talk to someone who's white from Canada and she's like, there's no race problem in Canada. No. I don't experience it. When I came to America, I was like, whoa, this is just so weird for me. America's Americans are just a lot more honest, more in your face about their racism, which honestly, on some level, I do prefer because then I just know who you are from jump. Do you know what I mean? Right. I don't have to it's not a scavenger hunt. There are no mind games. I just know right off the bat who to avoid, who not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, it's better in some ways. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Because it's yeah, like going to the South. I used to always say that. Like, at least you know who they are when you get there. Exactly. But now it's like, that's not even true. It's like a, a, all over United States. Now you just really, people are just, I mean, emboldened by Trump. And um, I do... I do think about that, like what it would be like if I didn't have this notion of racism or what was set against me, so to speak, or, but then I think I kind of had always operated in that way as a comedian in the space. I never thought there was anything uh, out there that was not uh, 
I never thought there was anything holding me back until recently. Okay. As I've gotten older and looking back on it, I'm blown away by the amount of opportunities that I didn't know was never going to be there for me. But I was so, you know, ignorance is bliss, right? So I I think I was moving in a way uh, that was allowing me to succeed because I was not aware of it. As you're speaking, that's what I'm thinking. And now, but now that I look at it, I am a little bit more like, these motherfuckers. What what were some of the opportunities that you didn't know you were never going to get? For example, Last Comic Standing. Okay. Which is a reality show. And it was one of the most, it was a yeah. true moment. Was. Uh, that episode, that season, I, I think it was maybe season two, but it was because the comedians that were the funniest did not go into the house. So they were making a reality show based on comedians that were um, their act, if it was the funniest act, then they would go into the house. What we learned was that was not what was really going on. And it was t- it was shown that people saw it, that the funniest comedian didn't win. And they were confused by it. And what happened was the judges, one being Brett Butler, was very upset. She goes, wait a minute, I did not vote for that person. The person that I voted for was, and then all the judges agreed. They were like, what's going on here? And then the execs, they told them, oh, it really isn't based on that. It was based on overall casting. So for me, who was young and just thinking, oh, it's about me being funny. And I'm so excited to be here. And I will never forget. Now, I don't know if everyone thought I had the funniest set, but I will never forget that Brett Butler said my name before she left the room. She said Marina and she was upset. And that's when I I had this moment of like, what is going on? Oh, this is not at all what I thought. Now, was race a factor? Could have been. Um, what they wanted was a type. So that was something that I know now that I didn't yeah. know then. I didn't know that when I entered the craft of comedy that I was also you know, like an actor. I was actually an actress in the beginning and I hated the fact that of casting pretty much or types. I didn't like types. Mm -hmm. And that comedy was the one form that allowed me to be outside the box, not in the box. And then I was learning that this was an industry that still wanted you as far as like making money in the box. I think your story is so powerful. Even in the smallest ones, just the fact that you share on this show, right, on your show, and it's amazing. It's that the story is really what connects people. Because no matter what shade you are, if you had a similar experience, you're connected to it. And yet and still, you're still breaking down doors. You're still breaking barriers. You're still creating a following. You're still doing all of these incredible things. It's not stopping you. It might be empowering you or motivating you. But our stories are really the nexus point for me that we have to do better as a community of sharing our truth in a way that's not degrading or creating an environment where people feel like they're being made wrong for something. It's just a truth. And we're moving to the place that is exactly where you're at. We need more of that in our community. 
I, off of hearing what you were saying, Marina, I think when you're, I can only speak for comedy. Um, it's this interesting thing where you have to be aware of race and gender because mm-hmm. it is the reality of the society we live in. Uh, and then for me, obviously me being Muslim, religion's a factor as well, but there's almost like, as you said, ignorance is bliss. There is like an element of being a little bit ignorant and that will help you in a way. So it's, it's like this really delicate balance of, I need to be aware of the evils of society, but I also need to really believe in myself and not pay attention mm-hmm. to the stats and feel that I will, oh, I will make it regardless. And da-da. you know what I mean? It's, it's a very interesting, um, balance, you know, cause, and there's also, I feel a little bit of delusion that is necessary in order to make it in comedy. Like I came to New York being oh. like, I'm going to be successful. There's no da- data to prove that I'll actually be successful. It's just a feeling, you know, <laughs> and I'm riding that feeling and I'm trying to, you know, put in the work, but yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. Yeah. Hearing you say that ignorance is bliss. Yeah. It, that's a huge part of like a, a part of being a comic, I feel. Well, I have to tell you something, Hobo. I have a feeling too. That's why I'm encouraging you. I keep telling people, put her on. I'm like, this girl's going to be successful. I just have a feeling. And I'm here for it. Speaking of Hobo, your your Instagram is so entertaining. Can you tell me like what made you, well, how you frame it, let our audience know, and what made you go in that direction? Because it's very entrepreneurial. It goes with everything we're talking about. Thank you. Um, I feel like, you know, for a long time, and I talked to comics about this. I was talking to another comic about it last year. We were doing a bunch of shows and he was very resistant to social media. He's like, I hate it. You know, it's the end of society. He was very doom and gloom about social media. And I was like, it's kind of like how we used to read physical newspapers and now everything's digital. For better or for worse, things have just changed. And you're either just going to flow with, go with the flow, or you're just going to be stuck and stagnant. So I just saw so many different types of entertainers, business owners promoting everything on social media. And I was like, okay, this is clearly where we're headed. Um, so let me just really be a part of that and, um, figure out my niche so that I'm not, um, what's the word burdened or irritated by the fact that I have to create content and post on social media. Let me actually like, like what I'm posting. So I remember else, do you guys know who Elsa Majimbo is? She's the girl that eats those chips uh, and then laughs and she'll say like really funny things. No, I don't, I've, I've heard that name though. Yeah. She says a bunch of stuff about money and fi- she's really funny. And um, yeah. And because of that, she got like a Fenty sponsorship and Valentino and she's being flown out to all these places. And she was like this girl in Kenya that just made all these really funny videos, but she really believed in herself. And um Anyways, I mentioned her because she's like, I like my videos. Like, she's like, I made sure I created videos that I like. She's like, I'll even rewatch my own videos and laugh. And I'm like, you know what? You got to really believe in yourself. (laughs) And so that's what I'm trying to do with my social media is like post things that I genuinely like. So if something, if a video does well or goes viral, it's like, okay, well, I'm, I wasn't chasing some sort of trend or anything. It was like, I was actually just being myself and then it'll be easy to go viral again because I'm just doing what I like. Does that make sense? Yes. Also super important. I've heard RuPaul say this. This is advice that he gives to all the drag queens that are on, on his show. He's like, number one, pay your taxes. Number two, don't read the comments. So I just do not read. I try to stay away from the comments on social media. 
that's, I think that's also the reason why I'm able to enjoy it a little bit more is because I just, I don't, if you're saying something negative, I don't know. I, I won't know about it. Sorry. So you don't restrict people or keep, do you have like keywords? Cause you know how on Instagram you can like, like I definitely have the N word is like, nope, can't say it. I love, oh my God, I have to add that in. I didn't think to add. Okay. I have to add that in. Kiana, do you have any keywords that you? No, but I'm learning. This is what I love about life. Okay. Look. <laughs> I don't know if most people would put the N word on my, on what I do. Cause then I would just respond with God really loves you. And that's so great. You're so loved. <laughs> what do you do? Wow. Good for you. I, yeah, I feel like that would, yeah, it's, I've, I've had that happen a couple times before, but it is, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I just try to stay away from the comment section, you know? George Clooney has this really great quote. He's like, uh, you're never as good as they say you are and you're never as bad. So I almost feel like if I also really keep reading the comments and it's all this positivity, it's almost, I don't know, I'm scared that maybe <laughs> my ego, you know, will become, will get way too big. Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it does, yeah, yeah. I think in uh, that movie or the series on FX, Swarm, is it Swarm? Where you yes, can see her eyes Swarm. like yeah. pop up when she was getting the good feedback and it's like a dopamine like rush. So I do worry about that. Like sometimes I get yeah. hot flashes <laughs> when I'm posting videos. I So my body, like this is a beautiful thing about menopause is it always ch tells you how you're feeling in the moment. You can't escape it. Okay. So you can you can't deny it. So when I'm posting, I'm like, I definitely hate this because I have hot flashes yeah. just going, and I'm like, oh. So I got to choose. Do you choose a time of day when you do it? Like speaking of like rest and when to do things for wellness. Like when do you post your videos? So on Instagram and on TikTok, if you go into your insights, it'll tell you when your followers are most active, and it'll tell you the actual time. Uh, so I, I try to post in that time. Do you guys yes, know about this, right? But, if you go in here, yeah, yeah. But do you want your yeah. followers or do you want more? Like, how do you get outside of your followers? Do you post? Um, you know what I do is I hashtag the videos. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I had this really silly video about throw pillows and why I think they're useless. And I was just ranting about it. And, uh, and then I just hashtagged it home decor hashtag, you know, things that like, you know, and, and that's it. You know, I also think there's an element of, um, it's really unpredictable what goes viral, what doesn't. So I'm just like, okay, let me just do these th a few things. And if it goes viral, it does. And if it doesn't, then we're just going to post again tomorrow. And I, I don't know. I try not to put, um, too much thought and too much expectation. Do you do it Does every that make sense? Do you do it every day? Well, here's the thing. So my friend Che Durena, who has 600k followers on Instagram and 7.8 million followers on TikTok, he gave me a lot of advice and he's like, "You really want to try to post consistently." He doesn't gatekeep any information. I'm always surrounded by success, like great comics that don't gatekeep information, which is beautiful. Marina, yourself included. And oh, um, yeah, he was like, you really want to post every day, at least one, just once a day, just post. And if you don't want to be on social media, you can schedule your post for the next day. So you don't even have to open the app. It'll just post for you. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's annoying. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it is, it, it can be annoying, but I don't know if you like the, I don't know. Guys, I guess we just have to accept that this is sort of what it is. You know, now, Kiana, do you use social media? What do you, how are your feelings with that? With, you know, being an entrepreneur? I don't know. I have a love hate relationship because I haven't gotten to the groove of what space I really want to share. Right. Mm. Because I, I'm, I'm generally an open book. If you ask me, I will share. But that doesn't mean everybody needs to know because my network is vast, but my friend group is small. Right. So mm. social media for me is that piece. Right. So for me, um, I also am a planner. I actually like to plan things in advance. So unless it's something that's happening in real time, I'm posting in advance. That way okay. it helps me formulate a message that feels good for me. Um, and unless I'm in a live conversation, it's rare for me to get a group, a series of questions that if I'm not talking to someone or with someone, then, and I'm responding to something, I have to like really think about it. Like, how do I really feel? What is my body telling me? What is it that I want to say? You know, how do I want to say it that brings more love? But when I'm with people, I just love it. So I could be in the flow. That's my hard part with social media. It's like, I'm doing something to be with somebody later. That's weird yes. for me. So I'm in practice. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, I'm going to get into these hot topics, okay. but I do want to say you're, you are doing a Ted, a TEDx Crenshaw. And do you want to, do you want to give us a preview of why someone should go or what you're going to be talking about? You don't have to go into it because I know that you want them to see it. So the thing I loved about this series is the theme is emancipation of your mind. And the first time I heard it, I was really challenged. Like, I don't want to be emancipated from my mind, free from my mind. My mind is the nexus of everything that works within me. It's the thing that connects me to God, right? Like the one mind. Okay. So moving into well, what does that mean for me has really brought me on a journey that put me back in full circle around um, things that we talk about even today about how are you in awareness how do you expand your love? How do you expand your connection to all things? And how do you place love into that, right? So that's the premise um, or the background, the intention of how the speech was formed. So I'm really excited about it. And they got me to sing live, which I don't do. So I'm a little bit nervous. Sing? Yeah, I don't normally sing. And they asked me to sing. I was like, that's just not what I do. I do not sing. I am not going to be in anyone's background music ever. So it's asking me to jump way far out of my comfort zone. Speaking for me is easy. I love it. I love sharing. But singing is a whole nother <laughs> level of vulnerability for me. So here we go. Yeah. Well, you see, like, did you did you learn anything from my friends like us song? You maybe you could take I mean, some notes. I was grooving. I was like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> my intention for this month was to bring more fun into my life. The season, right, it was just like, and then the moment you come on, I'm like, and here it is. Oh, oh, oh that's wonderful. Okay. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yes, bringing more. Yes, I. Um, so I have this article, it's Money Matters, Learning from Habits of 
of other successful entrepreneurs by Doug Fox at the Daily Herald. And there are 10 proven habits of highly successful entrepreneurs reading, getting adequate sleep. By the way, um, just a little side note, like I do, I am a cannabis person, but I've taken a break and, um, my dreams are so vivid right now. I had a, this dream this morning. I was like, whoa, I got to tell someone. Anyway, so get some adequate sleep. Practice, sorry. Practice money management. Exercise. Aggressively create and protect time for re relaxing, which we've talked about. Set big, clear goals. That's important. Focus on high value tasks. Constantly build powerful networks, create success routines. And it says are always seeking to fail. I don't, that doesn't, that seems like a typo. <laughs> Seek to fail. I don't oh, think that was in there. Or I, well, go ahead. Hope. Okay. I thought it was just like take risks and try new things. So, yeah, yeah. I like that he put sleep on there. You know, because oftentimes with these lists, it's always like work, 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 work. And he's like, no, but also rest. Really, your brain needs to power down. Does anything stand out there for you, Kiana? Like ag aggressively create and protect time for relaxing. That mine is set big and clear goals. Like mm -hmm. I have a board over here now that I didn't have before. Like that board, where, but nothing's on it right now. Mm -hmm. It's just my dental appointment. <laughs> right now, that's my goal. <laughs> Your dental appointment. <laughs> to clean my teeth. I love that. <laughs> so that's clear. I love the blank board. You could put a whole world on there. Like you just have the room to put it. It's full of every possibility in your life. <laughs> yeah. I love the uh, thing about um, networks. I think when business people use the word network, what I hear is community. That's really what I feel like it, it means for the most part. Um, yeah. And I know, I know I'm quoting RuPaul again, but RuPaul really knows how to drop these gems. There was this other thing that RuPaul said, and he's like, uh, his advice to anyone is always find your tribe, you know, cause we're not meant to make it through life on our own. So I think that's really, yeah, that that's what stood out. For me, I was like, yeah, that's really, really important to have other people around. Are, are there anyone, is there anyone, you know, your parents for you, Kiana, must be an example. Is there anyone else that you sort of like shadowed or looked at and said, oh, that's, that helps. That helps me. Um, I mean, you, you could pick the big names, but for me, I've always gone back to my great grandmother who was born as a sharecropper, right? And she created a whole world, a whole life where everywhere she went, people knew who she was. They called her Mama Annie. There was this communal experience to her. She was tough. She wasn't giving a lot of affection, but she you just knew that she loved you. Um, and there wasn't anything that she couldn't provide for. Like, it was just incredible how her network, her love of God, her love of everybody else around her, her ability to just figure it out along the way um, was probably, aside from my parents and our faith, the biggest light of guidance in my life. And I still reach out to her. 
Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that. You reminded me of my grandma too. When I think of that, like grandma, we called her grandma moot because mm-hmm. you, you couldn't argue with her. No, it was a, it was a moot point. <laughs> That's so great. Um, but she was tough, but she, you were right. She had created this <clears throat> whole network at church. Even mm-hmm. they're like, Oh, Miss Franklin's coming. The kids would run if they weren't like where they were supposed to be. Yeah. She, she had her own parking spot. Um, her tithe was always in, you know, I, I felt like she was home at church. Mm-hmm. Um, even on our block, everyone knew Miss Franklin, everybody. And everyone would send their badass kids to her if they needed them corrected. Because she, she'd get them straight. She's like, give them to me. I, I'll straighten that kid out. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So, um, and always was able to provide, just like you were saying, like, I never felt like, and she taught me so much, like just on, on financials and how to save and money mm-hmm. it was incredible. Um, as well as, as well as being able to study the habits of highly successful people, emulating the parts of their journey, like you were saying that directly apply to your goals and adapting other skills and ideas that fit your personality and plan offers a shortcut to success. Kiana, you talked about cancel culture in one of your Instagram posts. So we put up Lizzo. I, I put yeah. that in because I thought, let's discuss it. Because it's been one of those topics I've stayed away from on the podcast. Because I just like to see the news cycle, how it how it flushes itself out and how things, because, you know, at, at the beginning of the news cycle, you get this information, then you find out it's a different story here. And then it's like, what's going on? So here we go. Mm. Lizzo's current big girl dancers speak out amidst shocking lawsuit. And um, it says, now it is interesting that they do say she's likely to get more blowback from such a lawsuit than would a white male star like, Johnny Depp, which I watched that documentary with uh, Amber Heard this weekend. And I was like, why did this become such a big moment? You know, and then I was like, oh, they and it was it was interesting the way the documentary frames it, because it's like women who were for Johnny Depp, but both of whom have, you know, they fielded allegations of abuse and denied them. Although you often go on Instagram. Did you do a, a Lizzo post? Yeah, see, that was interesting because um, I just felt like we really need to see how it all plays out in court. It was one of those things where I was like, I really want to see how, because it was really shocking. You you don't want to invalidate what these dancers are saying. But then at the same time, we've always seen this story of like someone getting really successful and then people trying to tear them down. So I actually don't know. And so I'm actually really curious to see how this will, I don't know what will happen in court. I I was really torn on this one for sure. I also think this is a caution. So I don't know if you guys, um, there's one part in the lawsuit where the dancers went to the red light district in Amsterdam after a show and Lizzo allegedly was encouraging, um, one of the dancers to, um, participate in some sort of thing that the performer on stage was doing. It was, it was like someone had like a banana and they were like, eat from the banana or something like that. It was, it was something to, anyways, it was something that was very sexually explicit and she was encouraging her dancers to do this. And I just was like, girl, this is a cautionary tale on like, we don't party with our coworkers. What are we doing right now? You don't go to no goddamn nightclub with your coworkers. 
And obviously like no one should be put in that position, but I was just like, sometimes we need to have like a, 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 like a line between like our work and personal life. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this had happened, I think with um, other celebrities like Britney Spears and Cher. Yeah. Because it's the industry, right? Like you said, partying with them gets very tricky. I know Janet Jackson used to come to the Cielo here in New York that I go to every, I used to go to every Wednesday and she would be with her dancers. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, where was the, isn't there supposed to be like a NDA? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Does she have one? Yeah. But doesn't that get invalid? Yeah. Like, invalidated if they're like allegations of abuse like i'm assuming if they feel like they were abused in any way that it's like okay well girl i'm taking you to court nda or not (laughs) you're like nda or not i just think yeah you just it's yeah i don't know i i just think you can't get too close yeah People you work with. Do you know what I mean? You'll never see, I don't think, Beyonce partying with her with her dancers. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Well, I think yeah, it goes back to your tribe. So I could tell you that being at the helm of something is lonely and it's hard. And you're with people that yeah. see all the sides of you that you're willing to share. And people get comfortable and you forget, right? And in the forgetting, then that's yeah. what creates the opportunity for people to start using these things against you and ego and, you know, wanting to take. Um, And so it's so important that even in the midst of your careers, as you're ascending and you're continuing to rise, that your friend group and the people that are close to you is where you share your life, you know. But um, especially when you're traveling and you're on the road and you're with people that you think that you feel safe with, you're only looking at it from your viewpoint that you would probably never do that to somebody that doesn't mean that other people share the same value. Yes. Yeah, I also think it can happen with family easily oh, too. With anybody, you know, definitely. Yeah. Even in your friend group. So my dad would always say, if you don't want the world to know, don't speak it out loud. If you don't want the world to know, don't ask because the moment you ask the world, everybody knows. So whatever I share, everybody knows. That's how I view life. Everybody, okay. everybody already knows there's, it's just, especially with social media and the way that our world is connected, everybody just automatically knows. So if I feel shame or fear about it, then I shouldn't speak it. I shouldn't do it. I'm not going to act on it. Yeah. Yeah. I also think if you're somebody's boss, like just know that you guys are not friends. Does that make sense? Like she's their boss. And based on what was in that lawsuit, it just seemed like she was acting like they were friends. Yeah. And it's like, but you're not, you, you pay them. Like they're, they're on, they're on payroll. You know what I mean? I'm telling you the line gets crossed very easily. Very yes, easily. Yeah. So if you're not clear about that and you don't have a place to go back to, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. yeah, I have learned this lesson yeah. well, even with my podcast. Yeah, I, I bet you you have. Yeah, because, I, you know, you start off something like a podcast where it's just me. Right. I did everything. Yeah. And then I was like, it's overwhelming. I need to hire some pe- some interns, you know, they and they were non paid. And now, you know, it's harder is when you start paying them. <laughs> 
And then it becomes like, oh my God, now I have to learn these skills. And that's what I was going to ask you with franchises like McDonald's. Like, how did you, what are some tools in, in working with employers that you also want to mentor or employees, I should say? Well, I don't have any expectation that people are going to do the things that I think they should do. I want people to show up as themselves, not as me. Right. So that's the first thing. I'm not here to make a lot of mini Kianas. I'm here to make the best person that that person is. And then when I'm walking and navigating through life, I'm always listening for the language that they use for themselves, whether they're talking about someone else or they're talking about themselves. It's the same thing, because most of the time we're evaluating people based upon our own standard. Right. Yes, that's right. So when I'm with people, I'm not trying to activate the parts of me that that I'm wanting to activate. I'm trying to activate the parts of them. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is I never expect that someone isn't going to harm me, but I never live that they will. Right. Because what I find is that people are really trying to preserve what they have. And the moment they think it's being taken away, they're going to go on that defensive attack mode, just like your security guard, right? They're going to be in reactive mode because of something that happened yesterday. So I'm not talking to the moment of the person. I'm talking to the gift that that person is. And then I'm very clear and upfront. So my sister will tell you that when I get into like extreme boss mode, she loves when I turn it on because the moment someone tries to cross the boundary, I remind them that my boundary is set for life. Yeah. It's not crossing it. Right. I love that. And that if there is something that happens like a personal life challenge, then I'm very generous. But the moment you start taking advantage of my generosity, I don't allow the communication to fumble. I will say, no, that's just not who we are. That's not where we are. So I think communication is very clear. If you could be more love and allow people to be themselves and you have really good communication, then all of a sudden 99% of your problems go away because people know where they're at. Oh, I bet Lizzo wish she had heard that because... Let me tell you, in Amsterdam, she was like, oh, I didn't communicate the banana thing right. Let me tell you, I knew, I've been to Amsterdam and I do know that show. Like, yeah, well, like as a comedian, you know, the, the Red Light District, they have these shows and you go as an audience and you, and we went with, like, I went with like, you know, Rachel Feinstein and Jay Okerson and Joe DeRose. We were young then and we were just like, oh my God, look at this. And I remember like you shout out things and you have, it can be interactive in that way that could get, if you're, look, you're in Amsterdam, you're drinking. Yeah. You're smoking weed. Yeah. So things come out. So I'm sure that like, I think, although that's such a good point, like partying with your employees, eh, not a good idea. Um, let's see here. The lawsuit, the lawsuit underscores the poor working conditions in the music industry and the lack of accountability that exists for such abuses. Long hours, difficult physical labor, short term contracts. That's important. Like as an employee, what kind of contract have you asked for a contract? Do you know where you're 
Are you protected? While institutional oversight of individual artists isn't always present. Other artists, like like I mentioned before, Sharon and Britney Spears have been sued by their employees in the past for alleged discrimination and battery, respectively. For example, Sharon's case was dismissed and Spears settled her case. So we don't know what happened. She's having a tough time right now. She's getting a divorce, so... That's an ugly thing, too. It's like her business is all out there with her divorce. Yeah, I feel like she's been having a tough time. It's, uh, yeah. I also think dancers aren't in a union. I, I don't think they're in a union. So it's it's really like, I don't know. It's it's a dangerous game when the employee, the employer has to set the parameters because you're dependent on their moral compass. Does that make sense? Do you yes. know what I mean? So I'm sure working for Kiana, you know, that's a different experience than working for some other person, you know? You have an awareness of like yeah. resting and breaks and things like that. Someone else, someone else may not. Listen, I still get sued. <laughs> well, like, like, let's not get oh, it really? Sued. Oh, yeah. Because people want what they think that they're owed based upon what someone else has. Like people want your life. So it doesn't matter. Like all the things that I hear, I always see it from, well, how does that employee feel? And then how does the owner feel? And then what, what's the piece that's missing in the middle, right? Cause there's something there that got into the disconnect, right? But, oh yeah. Anytime that you're working with people, you're going to get sued. I just, oh, okay, great. Especially McDonald's. Like, and then I think I always think about the Seinfeld episode <laughs> when they get, oh. when they go to court and Kramer is like, uh, puts on the glove. Like he tries to use like the OJ case in a hot coffee case. It's it was so ridiculous. Conservatorship, conservatorship. Mike, this leads us right into this article. Um, is it Michael O'Hare? Am I saying it right? O'Her? Or? Is it Or? Michael Orr of the blind side says he wasn't adopted, but put into conservatorship and the subject of he's the subject of the blindside movie and has alleged that the I can't read today sorry the Toy family I never knew their last name sorry established a conservatorship a legal appointment that allows a party to handle the financial and personal affairs of another in which they profited from his name image and likeness instead of adopting him like they said they would now, he's 37 right now, Michael O'Hur, and he filed a petition asking for the conservatorship to be dissolved and requested. And, you know, especially because the movie, The Blind Side, went on to make at least $300 million mm -hmm. at the world's wide box office, which, you know, you could argue this is what we're striking for right now. This, this is a perfect story for, you know, what's going on in the industry. And the family made millions, the Choi family. I don't know how to say their last name. While Oher received nothing, absolutely nothing. According to the 2004 filing for the conservatorship, he wanted the family to be his legal guardian at least until the age of 25 or until it was dissolved by the court before that point. But his petition filed Monday said that the conservatorship is unnecessary and that he's capable of handling his own affairs. Now... I don't know if you watched the story. I had a hard time even watching the movie. I was like, I don't want to 
like this was one of those like white savior stories that I was passing on and something about it when it came out rubbed me the wrong way and you know they it did really well and the whole time I was just side eyeing it like the whole time so this story coming out now I was just like mm, I felt like there was something up so what what did you feel Kiana when you heard about this so I think that, um, so watching the movie for me was amazing. Right. Yeah. I'll never forget the first time because I grew up in athletics. I was a D1 basketball scholar athlete. And it is a very challenging experience to be that young and to be paid to play to go to school. Right. People don't talk about the business of sports. And I had an amazing family. So if you don't have a supportive network or support behind you, the things that we take for granted in life don't actually get funded or it didn't in the past. Right. So there's that side of it. The story of hope and this people who were not black, who took in someone, whether it was for profit or for not, to give them an uplift of life. I can see that side of the story. The other part was very clear that the story itself was was erroneous because he was a natural athlete, period. Right. So as you're watching the movie, you realize that there's a lot of parts of the movie that they sensationalize. But I just assume that that's what happens in film. Right. The part that is disheartening with what comes out now is that he didn't feel he had a voice to share at the time. Right. That that is the part that really hurts for me, because I find so many of us are in that world where we're so afraid to share the truth of our experience that we um, withhold things that allow other people to profit. So I probably am in five or six places about it. At the end of the day, I'm grateful that we're getting a fuller picture of the story today. And my hope is that it helps future um, athletes, but also that it helps him, right? That it helps him in his own recovery and healing journey and that he feels and receives what he is entitled to because it is his name. Just like colleges were profiting off of people's names for the longest of times. And it wasn't until recently that your name is now your own commodity, that people, the universities can't profit off of someone's name. It's the same story. You see it in your industry. You see it in entrepreneurship. You see it across the board where people are profiting off of somebody else, specifically us, constantly. And I'm always asking, when are we going to get to a place where we're no longer putting ourselves in a position to being profited off of because we're doing things unified as a community, very much like yours, that brings the women together to put funds to help support that community. You're no longer putting yourself in a position to be profited off of. So I see all of it. And I think that it's here for a reason to show us all the things that we want for ourselves. Um, and I pray for him that it works out the way that it should because I don't think that he attained the level of wealth for his years of playing football that he should have and I don't know what his financial situation is but to have that level of access and notoriety there's something missing there that we don't get the ability to capture 
um, our equitable percentage of wealth. I definitely feel like he's looking back and, and definitely like there's some financial issue going because you, you only ask for money when you need it. And then like he must be like, wait a minute. Like, it's kind of like me looking back on my career and going, wait, I should have done this when they asked me to do my half hour or hour or I should have like Zainab was on the podcast and she said she absolutely has to own her special. That was the one thing that was non-negotiable. And I, I was I applaud that because a lot of artists are afraid to take that stance in order to just be seen. Yeah. So, so I hear you saying, yeah, hold on. So how, when you heard this story, how did it affect you? Or what did you hear? Uh, I, yeah, I definitely was more in your camp, Marina, where I was just side-eyeing <laughs> the film <laughs> and everything. Cause I was just, even the poster, you look at the poster, it's like them holding hands and there's some sort of light in the background. I was like, girl, this is, this is white savior times a thousand. But um, unfortunately, I'm not shocked. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm not shocked. I feel really bad for him. Um, and I also think uh, the only way this man will get what he deserves, what he's owed, is if his lawyer is just an amazing lawyer. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you know what I mean? I, I think a lot of people yes. don't understand this. Um, and I've explained this to my mom. I'm like, you know, going to court and it, it's not about who's telling the truth. It's about like, how good is your lawyer? How connected is your lawyer? Is your, cause I know friends that have gotten DUIs and they've gotten off and it's because their lawyer oh, wow. was friends with the judge. So it, it's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow, but it is very much the truth. You know what I mean? I was like, you better, I hope Michael got that coin and has an amazing lawyer. And I feel you know like the mean? case is also, yeah. some lawyers take case because they want money. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they see, there's no moral, uh, lo- <laughs> they're not human, no, lawyers, um, no, but they this they, it's not, not like they're going, oh, I really care about like they only take cases they know they can actually make money off of. So there's something in this for yeah. them. Uh and I hope I hope you're right. I hope he does have a really good lawyer. But I do think at the core of it, it does I, I hope his voice gets to be heard on this, like you were saying, Kiana, because you're right, like to to go through the system like that and to with this family and then to feel like someone didn't have his back at the end of the day, if that's what he's really feeling, how tragic is that? Yeah. And that he would. Yeah. He's going to need. Yeah. And that whole system took advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I often think about these stories that are put out there, even with the Jeffrey Dahmer document like that I couldn't watch that series because I am a person who's had someone you know in my family you know that type of violence so um I always worry about the entertainment sake of it where it's going and are is the family being heard and really why are we doing this what's the message 
Um, yeah. And, you know, I, like I said, I didn't really watch the movie. So I, I, I'm glad that at least, Kiana, that you that it had a good story, you know, at some point. And, you know, Holdo, as a writer, like they embellish to make it to make it. They did. Yeah. Entertaining for folks, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was just watching like. Yeah. The way they're doing this, uh, the oxycodone story on Netflix, uh, I forget what it's called, Pills or something like that. But they start with the family talking and then, and I know I'm in a strike, I'm not even supposed to be promoting anything, but um, I'm not writing on it. So, but the, 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 the idea that they at least give the family a voice before they go into the story I feel a little bit more comforted mm. by that. Now, I don't know. Maybe there's a whole family back there going, no one told you to speak for us. <laughs> but at least it gives something to it that's a little more real and has a little bit more weight, levity. Now, a fun story that we'll end on. Uh, visitors to sunflower fields urged people to stop posing naked. Now, you see, I have some. I have a sunflower behind me. Yes. Well, sunflowers erica she's one of our listeners she always gives me stories she's so great thank you erica and um i don't what <laughs> like you see this whole though and i could see you posting about this also on social media so a british farm has urged visitors to stop posing naked for photographs in its field of sunflowers the sunflowers were first planted by wilson and his then fiance behind the church where they got married six years ago but the plants did not bloom in in time for the nuptials. And he says, we went away on the honeymoon. And then my sister rang and said, people want to pick your flowers. So we set up an honesty box for visitors, which is so nice. They do that in Vermont. I love that. I drive by there. They trust me. And then, um, to their surprise, <laughs> uh, everyone's just posting nudes. Uh, I don't know why they do this. What was there? Was there people doing, Sunflowers, like, was that a thing to post news? I just think people are a lot more bold, really, like in nature, you know, when people just don't see Bill. Yeah, I don't know. I just in general, I feel like there's like a boldness. Uh, and then also when I saw the headline, I was like, this is for sure, like tons of white people are doing this. I do not see just a bunch of black and brown people <laughs> being like, we're going to disrespect their property and just do this. This to me is like, it's giving but we should We should get you to a I mean? point where we were like, oh, I didn't even think that I, I needed to be entitled to pose naked. <laughs> right? Yeah. It, this, it is, should, that, yeah. The, this whole conversation is, would it be a better world if we were just like, oh, I could just pose naked anywhere I goddamn please? I, I think in the article, they said something about families and they were like, yeah, it's just like, please don't, you know, there are children around. So I, yeah, that's. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There is a, they had to put a sign up. We've always had people take risk pictures, but this is the first year it's been a problem, which is why we've had to put a sign up and yeah, they had children um, put, yeah. A couple of children saw what was going on. Mommy, look. So, yeah, you can't, Kiana, when you read this, what did you think? Like, there's a level of freedom that you have to be naked in public. Like, first of all, that's incredible. Not for me, but incredible. Like, I could really be an appreciation of that. And then there's the other part that says, 
but not everyone is ready. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I feel like um, there's such a longing in me to be that free, not to do it, but to be that free that you just can be fully exposed and fully vulnerable and sharing in the moments that are right for you, whether it's clothed or not clothed is incredible. I probably am not ready to be naked in a field of sunflowers in a public space. My backyard when my kids are with their dad, maybe, but not in a public space. But check back with me in the future. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you remind me of a, of, of, um, it's, it is so like, there are certain people like in my family, like my one sister, I won't say which one. Her freedom with her nakedness would always shock the hell out of me. I was like, you know, just kind of walk around. I'm like, you put that on. Um, And I was always like, very like, oh, God, you're right. Like that freedom to be able to do that. I do envy it. And I do think that on. And then I also think on a certain level, this is where we are after the pandemic, where people are just like wild. And they out there, they're like, we're outside. We're outside, indeed. Look, (laughs) after the pandemic, I can't sleep outside. So I moved my bed outside. Like, the pandemic completely shifted a lot of things for me. Like, the opening of my heart and the inability really to be angry um, on such a deep level, it's eliminating defensiveness because I realize that everyone has a point of view and conditioning. And I mean, just so many things have shifted, really being in tune with all of life, like all the processes of life and being more um, accepting and able to feel my emotions where before I would suppress them and lock them away. So I do think there's something to be said that's within nature and the divine experience that we're going through that's asking and calling us to be free. And the expression of that shows up differently for people. But we're also seeing this divergent experience of that versus needing to stay in this mind control of life, right? So I'm patiently and hopefully expanding my love to witness all of it and find more fun and humor in it as opposed to anger and angst. Cause I don't know about you guys, but when you have me laughing, I feel so much better than when I'm wallowing in misery and upset. at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I also thought of this, um, when you're out in a field and you're naked, my fear is Lyme disease. Oh. Getting bitten by a tick. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There are so many people, celebrities that have Lyme disease. I don't know. I just feel like, and they're bedridden. It's really, when you see rich people struggling with a disease, you're like, oh, that means like me and my little tax bracket. <laughs> We're screwed. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I definitely, the humor part of this and everything, like even going back to the Hurricane Hillary, you see so much trending in California that's humorous about it. You know, with Hawaii and everything, that is so gut-wrenching, yeah. heartbreaking. I can't even, like, I had anxiety for a few days just because I couldn't handle the the news of it. And I still can't process it in my mind. 
the alert system, right? But in California, I did notice the humor that was coming out of everyone from Hurricane Hillary, like to, you know, it being Hillary Clinton, to the alert system. Uh, One of my friends, Vaughn DiCarlo, I give her credit. I I don't, did they say stop, drop, and roll during, is that what they sent to you during an earthquake? They say stop, drop, and roll? Get that message. But it was very fluid. Yeah, but we did get the complete like panic. Don't go outside. Like your whole life is going to be underwater. Yeah. Like we're experiencing mass destruction. Like power lines are going down. You won't have internet. Like you can't prepare enough. I was like, man, this, this world is feeding off of our fear. And I'm just sitting here. Oh, yeah, no, you are not the only one, though. I feel like everyone seemed to, on social media anyway, what I was seeing was like, I saw Bert uh, Kreischler, like he was making steaks. He was grilling, barbecuing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's on brand. Yeah, he was showing you just how good the steak was and what temperature and where's that. And I was like, this is this is where we're at now, where it's like, you know, you it's out of our control, really. It is. It's actually wow. a nice place to be when you can let go. Yes. Just go with the flow. Go with the flow. So we're going to have to leave it there. This conversation was absolutely wonderful. Thank you. You know, speaking of wellness, like every time I do this on Monday, you know, I'm always like rushing and I'm trying to get like all my my interview skills in. And I'm like, I got to be able to read. Like sometimes I go, do I keep doing this podcast? Why do I keep doing it? And it feeds me regardless of like... You know, whether it's like a million downloads, I know what it's doing for me. So thank you, ladies, both for joining me today. Hodo, I'm going to go to you first. Hodo, where can our listeners find you? You guys can follow. uh, Well, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, all the platforms at uh, Hodo Comedies. That's H-O-O-D-O Comedy. Then my website, HodoComedy.com. With friends like us, you'll learn not to party with your colleagues. Ooh, good one. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Kiana? Find me at kianaweb.com or gloriousarisings with an S.com. And then, of course, the handle is kiana underscore web or gloriousarising. You'll see that everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, all the things. And with friends like us, you can be yourself. That's what the world needs. Yes. I love that. that. Marina Franklin here. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. And yes, with friends like us, you can stop, drop, and roll and get back up again and find love in that journey, huh? Ooh. I did that. Check check us.